It's so weird not having a Facebook page open. Yeah. I do not understand what that means. I mean, we're still bang down to the mighty Zerk by using the standalone app. Yes, but... <laughs> Alright, you're using apps. I am not. It's new. I work remotely, so basically everything I do is a browser. <laughs> <laughs> That's what university's like now. That's what work's like. I think Paul is the only person actually going into the office to do work now, out of all of us. Even then, it's 50-50. <laughs> well, whether or not you go. Well, there's me and another guy, and we kind of split our time in the office 50-50. That's because we need access to the computer system that's not at home and can't be put in at home. That's fair enough. I suppose it does give you plenty of time to watch Day of the Triffids whilst you're working from home. For the benefit of the listeners, that's because Paul works at that centre of the internet place from Age of Ultron. (laughs) (laughs) If only it was somewhere that cool. Yeah, people don't realise in the film it's in Norway, in reality it's in rural Gloucestershire. (laughs) Oh wait, Oxfordshire. Maybe Berkshire? I don't know, you, you commute two counties over or something. Or is that Dan? Both. Uh, yeah, I, I commute two counties over still. Well, I would. I digitally commute now. <laughs> I I need I need to click the little button that says connect to VPN <laughs> before I can actually log in to start work. So I do that too. <laughs> Yay, digital commutes. Although sometimes I forget and I'm like, the library's not working, I can't do any work. Oh I didn't I didn't connect to the VPN. <laughs> Panic over. <laughs> I was such an old person when this whole thing started in that I didn't know there was a button to click to connect to the VPN. So I used to just log in and then find a button that was like, I'll just show you what's your your terminal number. And then proceeded to give me a lesson on how to access work from home. As much as I love the the whole Dan is old vibe, this this is amazing podcast material. I'll tell you what day of quarantine I am on. I've noticed that in my own speech patterns, I occasionally drop T and D sounds for glottal stops, or as we call them here, glottal stops. (laughs) And I'm now trying to eliminate it, even though no one else in the family claims they can hear me do this. So if in the course of the podcast you hear me say things like, I'm now on the spot and can't think of a word that ends in T. (laughs) Sport. What, you mean sport? Sport. (laughs) So if you hear me say sport, then assuming Paul doesn't have a filter that can filter out all the plosive <laughs> sounds on my microphone, it will be yeah, a lot of dental fricatives. Have you gone all cockney on us? I don't know. If so, I blame Dan. <laughs> yeah. One thing I have noticed with all my commuting that I've still been doing in lockdown and absolutely binging Critical Role, something about the American accent where, where they're just really lazy with D's and T's. Yeah. Oh yeah, Rod 46? Wait, 46? Or 4D6? Because there's a big difference. <laughs> and it happens every time. Metal. Are you saying metal or metal? Could be either. Or mental. <laughs> metal. <laughs> I mean, only Americans can rhyme water with otter. Although that wasn't Critical Role, that was Nadpod. Water. Otter. Oh, yeah. Oh, I listened to a podcast this morning. They were talking about Lord of the Rings, and they referred to the actor that plays Theoden as Bernard Hill. And I was like, nope, his name's Bernard. Bernard. Mm-hmm. He's called Bernard. Bernard. Uh, but it's Barnard Castle. Yeah, I, re- I regret to inform you that I did recently discover that there's a river in Connecticut called the Thames. Oh. 
James like James. Exactly. Hey, you know where else has a river pronounced like that or spelt like that anyway? London. What else is in London? Day of the Triffids. There, link complete. Intro. Welcome to this week's episode of Remedial Nerding, the podcast where four nerds force each other to watch something that they really should have already seen. Your friendly neighbourhood nerds this week are Dan, Nathan, Paul and me, Joanne. Remember, there's no such thing as a bad nerd. Hello and welcome to Remedial Nerding Season 7 Episode 12. This week it is Day of the Triffids. Brackets 1981. That is true. I hadn't realised quite how many times it had been remade. God, people love remaking this. I feel like we're due for another it's remake. It's been remade as like a three-part miniseries recently, hasn't it? If by recently you mean 2009. That's like year before last, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty recently for us. <laughs> Proportionally for us. I like talking to you guys because I spend my days feeling so old and then... <laughs> We come and record this podcast, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a baby. I remember what it feels like. (laughs) You feel old because you're mixing with people who are 18 months younger than you. They're not. They're like seven years younger than me. (laughs) You're so old. Speaking of old, what was up with the Day of the Triffids intro cards and intro scenes? I mean, I know it was 1981, but I'm pretty sure intro technology was a lot better than that. No, but this is the BBC. The BBC had a budget of five and six at that point. But they were making, like, decent Doctor Who intros. They had those fancy sound effects. Point of order, no, they were not, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) 1981 Doctor Who has some abysmal effects. The the Foley's good, but the Foley's good in this. About the audio in this, I liked how little there was actually in the episode in terms of music. There was almost none. It did very well for the, the sort of end of the, the world apocalypse bit that was going on. Yeah, the the B- I think this is roughly the era of the BBC when they were occasionally getting in trouble because the BBC is perennially in trouble with the elements of the media who were not the BBC. <laughs> and in those days, I think the problem was that they were constantly giving away Soviet cars on the game shows because they had a total budget of £100 to spend on a car. Inflation adjusted. <laughs> so... Did anyone else watch all six episodes? Because I did. I got sucked I in. I did. I watched two episodes. I plan to watch all six. I've watched three and a half, but I needed to nap, so that took precedent. I mean, I had work to do. Hard studying. Studying the inside of your eyelids, yeah, which, got it. Which yeah. two episodes did you watch, Nathan? Was it one and two? It was one and two, yeah. And so Joanne's watched one, two, and three? And a half. Yes. And a half, and half of four. Which means that no, I've I watched met... half of six because I'm crazy like that. <laughs> I've met three <laughs> named characters, I believe, one of whom's already dead. <laughs> Did you feel that the entire first episode was 20 minutes of setup that really didn't start until the second 26 minutes? I mean, yes. I watched this quite early on because one episode every month is roughly the level of free time I have available to commit to things. 
And I'm pretty sure I texted you guys in the group chat saying, if you want, you could just start t- episode two, because that's where the episode starts. Yeah. The first episode is a one-act play about this one guy in a hospital room who <laughs> decides to go and look for a cup of tea at 20 minutes in, before the episode abruptly cuts to credits. All you really need to know is, he was stung by a triffid as a child, got some immunity, got stung again, which meant they had to bandage him. Which means he didn't get to look at the death rays. Well, blind rays, I guess. The death meteors. I have some questions, I'm so confused. (laughs) Already? Well, I would like to start off with I really liked it. Yeah. I did enjoy it, but I had a lot of assumptions going in because i'm sure i read the book as a teenager (laughs) but i can't remember anything about it except i am convinced that they're aliens but apparently aliens aren't they are they though the triffids are not aliens they're genetically engineered are they engineered by the soviets i thought that the triffids were like alien dna mixed with plant dna by the soviets sold to the british to make a shit ton of fuel and money. My recollection from the book is that some Soviet scientist invents super sunflowers with the unfortunate side effect that they also roam around and occasionally eat people, but does not get enough respect in the Soviet Union on account of collectivization, and therefore decides to sell it to Britain, or Saudi Arabia, or America, or wherever will take it, basically. But unfortunately, his plane is shot down as he attempts to defect, and therefore just dandelion seeds them over the entire globe. So the official bit from the well, the official bit from the plot summary of the book is that uh, the main character Bill suspects that they were bioengineered in the in the USSR. That's it. They don't they don't know. They just turned up. It's like, oh, these plants are pretty dangerous. But wait, they make fuel. Oh my god, oil, oil. <laughs> I've got a feeling that the book may have had like an appendix or kind of like The Handmaid's Tale does, like a little postscript supposedly written by an archivist in the future of the fiction, in which it says, yeah, they were totally bioengineered for royal purposes. Interestingly, looking at the, the plot summary, I won't go into it too much yet, we can come back to that, the only bit of the plot summary that didn't make a pretty much direct transition to the BBC series was the very last sentence, which was obviously the, the end of the last episode, but I'll come back to that. <laughs> so, my second question, or my other assumption, was that because I thought it was aliens, I thought the meteors were in order, to, were like purposeful. But I have, I've since been told me that they're a coincidence. Yeah, in episode two, the protagonist, who I believe is called Bill, it may be called Steve or Jeff or some other. It's Bill. 1981 British name. Someone asks him, do you think this massive triffid population boom and those comets are related? And he goes, no, coincidence. <laughs> Yeah, but I didn't believe him. Because what does he know about aliens? Well, He's a farmer. That's true, nothing. He's an industrial I, he biochemist. Was, he wasn't a farmer, yeah. He was the chief biochemist for the largest triffid farm in the country. Uh, farm. He's a farmer. <laughs> He's in charge of a farm. That makes you a farmer. <laughs> the events that go on parallel to episode one is a news report saying... What a fantastic celestial phenomenon. Everyone go outside and look at it with your unprotected eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you happen to be in a hospital with a load of gauze around your head. Or asleep. Or too drunk to stay awake. Or too drunk to stay awake. Or some children who, I guess, just didn't want to. I don't know. <laughs> stay in bed. You're not looking at this for adults. It's apparently in the book he speculates that it may have been uh, weaponized satellites that were triggered accidentally. 
So still a coincidence. Still a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. I seem to remember from the book there's a big discussion, possible spoilers for Joanne watching the end of this series. That's okay. Where when they're discussing what they're going to tell their children about why they have to grow up in a shitty post-apocalyptic world, they decide they're going to come up with this myth where the pre-apocalypse world was too prideful and cold warry to to survive. At which point Bill goes, well, that may be the truth, and then cut to... <laughs> credits except it's books it didn't have credits <laughs> <laughs> it's so the the main character we've touched on bill who is the 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 botanist bloke farmer the farm you're you equating into a farmer is like saying a pharmacist sells drugs ergo he's just a drug dealer yeah it's like saying dan works with milk ergo he is a cow <laughs> yeah that's what i think dad's job is cow yeah, that that's fine. Bill, after escaping the hospital by taking his bandages off himself, ends up meeting up with Gisela and rescuing her, Gisela or Joe, who can see because she was blackout drunk um, <laughs> during the meteor shower and got home in the early hours of the morning to find her father blind and asking for a doctor so she gets in the car and starts to drive into town to find a doctor only to get captured by some blind person who's then forcing her to be a guide dog that blind guy was really good at like being horrible but (laughs) I I feel like he did very well he sold the role like at first I thought ah this guy was blind before like because he's used to it but I don't think that that was the case either no, you do briefly see someone with a white cane. Mm. Just walking down the street and stuff, yeah. everything's normal. Just yeah. going about his day. I think in the book he has a, a brief interaction with Bill before wandering off. Yeah, he is that guy, the villainous um, survivor who, yeah, as you say, puts a lead on Jacinta. Oh, I've forgotten her name already. Jocelyn. Joe. Joe Fancy name. He is, yeah, getting along better than the person who is uh, desperately holding on to a big box of Daz because he believes it to be breakfast cereal or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, it was Tide because it made me think, oh, is this where all those teenagers got the idea of eating Tide pods from? <laughs> I think it's probably from a time before the brand names diverged across the pond. Uh, we, I think during that same episode where Joe gets captured, we see... The, the formation of gangs and people preying on the blind when the group of Arsenal supporters led by the one guy that can see because of, I'm assuming he was passed out drunk in a toilet after match day. I <laughs> got that vibe. Wandering down the street singing and they get to a shop and he says, what do you want? And one of his drunk mates says, I want a woman. And then things take a real dark turn because oh. the end of the world wasn't bad enough. Well, yeah, this is a common trend in a lot up. of apocalyptica is that it just assumes that there's a large fraction of the population who are just dying to get a post-apocalyptic dystopia going. <laughs> <laughs> we'll wake up every morning, check to see whether or not the world has ended, and then sadly put their machete <laughs> back in its case. <laughs> I think, in especially in the first couple of first three episodes, the other main name character that we are definitely introduced to is um, Jack, who I think was played by an American. I wanted confirmation that he was not the cited member of the Arsenal squad. 
No, he, he wasn't. Because <laughs> I remember him being a villain in the first part. I seem to remember he's also a socialist activist. Yeah, his whole deal was that, um, I mean, during the night after Bill saves Joe, they're up in some fancy flat in a block of flats that hasn't been sold yet, so they're pretty sure they're safe. They see a light from the university, I think it was, um, signalling. So they go to take a look, and they find that it's being guarded by some army personnel, and turns out some professor's trying to gather up as many supplies and people as he can to leave the city. And Jack is on the outside of the gates with a group of blind people trying to get them in, but they don't want them because they're blind. And the divide is literally that inside the university, the philosophy is we need sighted people because they can do shit and then we can rebuild society. And Jack's on the side of, don't be dicks. These people need us. They're all going to die. And then the counter argument is, dude, they're all going to die anyway. We don't need to die with them. Yeah, that because that is brought up even as early as episode two because Bill at some point wanders into someone's house. Well, he because he spots the little girl who can see, and then their blinded family attempts to put a lead on Bill, but don't succeed on account of the fact they're blind. But make the philosophical and they're quite polite about it. Yeah, they're also quite <laughs> polite about it. They make the yeah. kind of and, philosophical and Bill argument. Bill totally with, promises to come back with you know some vegetables and something. <laughs> And then never does. Bill does just walk away from a lot of things. I, I feel for Bill. I probably Which, would as he's well. He's a farmer, not yeah, a hero. Yeah, I don't blame him for. True, true. As Jack proves, heroes are just people that get other people killed. <laughs> to move away from the plot for a second, to talk about the uh, the lasting impact of this on on culture. That, I mean, I thought watching this was like, yeah, they definitely watched this before they wrote 28 Days Later. Reading up on Wikipedia, they definitely watched this before writing 28 Days yeah. Later because the intro is basically the same as it is for The Walking Dead as well. Maybe not the intro with the, the gunfight getting shot, but then when he wakes up in the hospital, exactly the same thing again. Well, I was going to say, compare and contrast against The Walking Dead, it demonstrates that one is British and one's American because American version, a small town sheriff contemplates divorce and then justifiably homicides a Mexican guy <laughs> before having to join up with a, a gang of survivors of all different races. Swap over to the British version where a, a what industrial biochemist decides to quit his job because of Cold War tensions, then goes looking for a cup of tea in an NHS hospital <laughs> before eventually having to join up with a gang of people of all different classes, including Joe Fancy Name and Jack the Socialist Activist. I did say when we were watching this as well, I think there's a fair impact of this into Shaun of the Dead as well, but specifically the point where they just go to the pub. Yeah. And that's, for a time anyway, that is their solution to the problem, is to just hang out in the pub. Get to the pub, wait for it to blow over. You get the scene in that part where, I think Arsenal supporters in this case rather than zombies, but nonetheless, you get the hand on the frosted window. Yeah. Which I'm fairly sure turns up in at least a few zombie films. Except in that one, they sort of bang for a while, and then they're like, yeah, this one's closed, lads. Down to the next corner, there's another one. I'm trying to look up when the book version... So, Book of the Day of the Triffids was 1951. I thought it was like the 60s. L60 was when they made it into a film version, then 81 was this adaptation. Yeah. So, I would like to know if people were stupid (laughs) in the 80s. Well, I mean, yes, but why? Okay, I have I have two theories. Either 
viewers of television and movies were idiots and needed everything pointing out to them very clearly, or filmmakers didn't understand subtlety and nuance. Because any time anything significant happens, huge push zoom towards the thing you're supposed to po- focus on, and like stinger playing really loud, all the all the dialogue goes way down to show us that it's light outside, so it's not three in the morning. Ooh. <laughs> and you got at least two of those every episode. What was that the bit? The bit at the beginning of the second episode where he goes into a random room in the hospital and there's some Irish dude and he goes, ah, draw, draw, a... no, that's a cockney, but he goes, draw the curtains, mate. And he looks up and draws the curtains and it's bright sunshine outside. Yeah. I think you do have to remember that I want to use the phrase, it was a different time. And that makes me sound ancient. <laughs> but, you know, this is back in the day when TVs were tiny. Yeah, good Cameras point. weren't great. And people were less sophisticated with how they shot things and how they viewed things. You know, we've grown up with TV shows and movies and screens that have got a much bigger and our expectation is more. Whereas, you know, even in the 80s, TV was still just you know, a step up from heading down the theatre. So it's a TV thing rather than a cinematic language thing because I, I think so. like 2001 a space odyssey came out in the 60s alien came out in 79 and the cinematic language of those type of movies was subtle like if you could remake them shot for shot now with imax cameras and they'd they'd work no one would question it yeah, I think that's because they were intended to be viewed on a massive projector as opposed to a cathode ray tube that was 10 inches diagonal yeah. I think I have an iPad that's bigger than a lot of TVs of that day. <laughs> I wonder what the ownership percentage was of TVs, especially colour TVs in 81. Probably still not that high. But then I don't remember, I don't ever remember a time where we didn't have a TV from growing up being, from being born in 84. Yeah, there was always a TV in the house. But then the earliest we can realistically remember was probably 90. I can just about remember like 89 the Tomorrow People on the TV. That was a cool TV show. I liked the remake. <laughs> I can remember just about before we had Freeview. <laughs> which here makes me old. <laughs> Back when we only got four channels because you couldn't get Channel 5 in Devon. You could barely get Channel 4 at ours. Well, yeah. Back, back before the digital revolution, children. Yeah. Well, that's what makes us millennials. An analogue childhood and a digital teenage time. Circling back round to discussing some of these characters, Jack, who is in the camp of, I want to save all these people, turns out to be a bit of an asshole, Because as soon as he finds Jack and, uh, sorry, Bill and Joe, who can see, takes them prisoner holds them against their will and literally chains them to a bunch of blind people and says, you're responsible for all these people now. (laughs) Go live in that area. Which is, like, dickish. I mean, there's a fine line between efficient distribution of people and resources and being a megalomaniacal despot. He was treading that line. (laughs) And for a novel written in 1951 that is heavily laden with communist anxiety, it's not that surprising a plot's meant to have. (laughs) 
it's a common thread that all post-apocalyptic fiction is largely about what makes people anxious in the present day. Yeah. Which is why most contemporary post-apocalyptic fiction, the bad guys in the post-apocalypse, are generally religious rather than communists. <laughs> and arguably why The Walking Dead is incredibly right-wing or has attracted an incredibly right-wing audience. Because everyone's allowed their guns. <laughs> because guns are absolutely essential, and assuming you don't have a crossbow, of course. <laughs> and no one can be trusted and family is all that matters. I mean, th- there is hope for Jack uh, as it comes around later on as things do not go the way of his uh, London reborn until we wait for the cavalry to come and sort us all out when he realises that one, the cavalry is not coming and everyone is dead, Jim. (laughs) Including the sighted people that he has chained to them because now they're just trying to drag around two dead people. And he does have that moment of, well... I tried to do the right thing. I was a dick about it, and it didn't work. I am sorry that it didn't work. <laughs> I feel like this 1981 interpretation is also heavily influenced by nuclear apocalypse stories, which were obviously a big thing at the time. Threads was about this time. I don't know when... What's it called? When the Wind Rises? Or is that something completely different? No, that's the yeah, that's the old people try to survive the nuclear apocalypse by hiding under the table lens to get against the wall and die horrifically. Made by the same person who did the snowman, just to yep have a massive tonal oh. shift. Yeah. What? Yeah. The snowman is in walking the on the walking air. Yeah, that one. Raymond Briggs. Feel like that that was a creative decision. Sat his wow. desk going. Well, the snowman was a massive hit. I don't want to retread old ground. What's this? <laughs> old people die, nuclear fire. I'm in. <laughs> Let's do this. That's nuts. Can I put a schoolboy singing over the top of it for a soundtrack? Yes? Great. I'm in. <laughs> no? I'm still in. Who are the old people? So, let's get round to the Triffids. Oh yeah, I forgot about them. <laughs> Narratively, the only reason they're not zombies is that Day of the Living Dead hadn't been made yet. <laughs> <laughs> zombies literally hadn't been invented. I mean, you're not far off. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we get? Man-eating plants. <laughs> yeah, so not they're aliens. They are shambling. They are lethal. They are attracted by noise. Man-eating plants just sounds like a bloke eating a bowl of, like, carrot sticks or something. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Nathan. Don't do that! Well, can we derive from this that Dan has no carrots in his flat? <laughs> I, I do not. At least the second time he did it, it looked more like he was eating a carrot and less like something else. And that's like eating another man. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Nathan, carry on. I forgot what I was talking about now. <laughs> They're also of questionable intelligence in that they do, what, Morse code at some point. They they do communicate, or they, they seem to communicate. People aren't quite sure what their knocking is, but it does. there are theories amongst the quote-unquote farmers that they are communicating. On a slight, maybe a complete tangent, I've just found a YouTube clip linked from the wikipedia page uh, from an alexi sale show 
uh, in the late 80s. <laughs> this Angus Deaton has turned up at the house for a house party. He's just been given a glass of wine and walked into the living room <laughs> where there were three triffids. <laughs> and it's literally the uh, the props from the TV show. I was going to say, someone half-inched him at the end of shooting. Yeah. It was put in the Natural History Museum as well. Yeah, despite being in the title, they're kind of incidental to the plotline. I mean, they are for the first few. And then I think as the, the they get better at dodging um, the people element of things, the Triffids start making their ways into the cities and become more of a problem and have them fleeing the city. And then later on when they're living in the country, you know, they have a f- giant fence which is just surrounded by thousands of Triffids. I was going to say, yeah. episode five, it gets... Five, four, maybe? I can't remember which one it is. It gets pretty dark when he finds the house with the little girl and the dead small boy that's been killed by Triffid. It's pretty real at that point. Yeah, see, I remembered that extremely vividly, so I thought that was going to be in like episode two, which is at the point at which I started texting you guys just saying, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. But like, like you said, Dan, the, the back end of the, the last episode where they're living on the uh, the South Downs, and they've got the big electrified fence and the noise of the generator attracts the triffids and then they get the flamethrower out and burninate them. And they said that, I mean, they even have like the whole discussion of you know, the triffids are getting smarter and that they are learning when the generator's on from its sound and that when it's on, they know not to go near the fence. But as soon as the generator's off, they are rushing the fence. So that whole bit's pretty dark where they're living, they've got this nice set farm set up there uh, and then... The army guys turn up again and are absolute dicks and say, oh, okay, yeah, well, we're going to bring you a load of blind slave labour to run your farm. Uh, we, we've now turned into full-on fascist communism. But the, these were different army guys to the army guys that left with the professor. These are just a bunch of people that walled off Brighton and killed all the Triffids and then decided they were going to steal a tank and form their own government. <laughs> just drive around going, all oh, your farm are belong to us. Yeah. And that they're only located because the the kid spots a helicopter flying overhead, so sets a massive barrel on fire to attract its attention, and it lands. And it turns out that it's Jack, and he now lives on the Isle of Wight, and he's crashed three helicopters before he learned how to fly them. <laughs> I think that's about the normal amount of helicopters that are crashed in the purpose of in the process <laughs> of learning to fly a helicopter. So in the series, it, they kind of they get these army people and. Bill's not very happy with them, so he goes, okay, I've got a plan. Let's get them all blind drunk, put honey in the tank fuel tank of their armoured car, smash through the fence and let them all get, you know, suffer death by Triffid. Fade to black, end of episode six. Which is the point that I texted you guys and went, well, that's a really unsatisfying ending. The sentence that comes after that in the book is, they then went to the Isle of Wight and plotted to take over the world from there. It's like, yes, that makes more sense. Go and find the bloke who's got an island and has the annual Triffid cull. A much more defensible location. I think that that was literally discussed, wasn't it? And as the closing sections, it was they made the way to the Isle of Wight, and you no, know, maybe we'll come back once I've worked out how to kill the Triffids and we'll retake the mainland. Yes, I previously said it was like um, the end of Handmaid's Tale. Maybe it's more like the end of Lord of the Rings, where one of the characters starts writing, and then I wrote this book, the end. <laughs> which also happens, incidentally, with one of the early books of the Bible. The only early book of the Bible you need is the one that wasn't included, 
which is the dedication page, it says, any resemblance to a real persons living or dead is purely <laughs> coincidental, which I'm pretty sure is a deep cut Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference, but I'm sure Rob will uh, correct me when he listens to the episode. Oh, in fact, no. Or is that a Red Dwarf one? What, from the log? No. Oh. Isn't it like on the background of a TV episode? No, isn't it? Isn't it when... Yeah, it's just like a missing uh, first page of the Bible's been found to my darling Candy. <laughs> Any <laughs> resemblance of persons in this book to real life is coincidence or whatever. Oh, what episode? Is it that in Better Than Life? Because then she, it's like a news report and then she goes on to being like, also, this new game Better Than Life is Yes, here, that's it. And you should play it. Yes, that's the one. I'm disappointed that you didn't get that before, given that you are even more of a Red Dwarf nerd than I am. Sorry, I wasn't really listening to you. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the last 20-something years of my life. (laughs) Sisters, they're tricky. Oh, because it's on Groovy Funky Channel 27. (laughs) And they have a hologram reading the news. Oh god, here we go. Channel 27 has a hologram reading the news. Because, again, to go back to the 80s and 90s in Britain, we couldn't conceive of a distant future where there would be, like, double-digit number of channels to choose from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but also videos in the, fu- in, in the future in Red Dwarf are just triangular-shaped VHSs. <laughs> I mean, you say that, Nathan, they might have had 5,000 channels, but they were just too far away and could only get 29. <laughs> We've got 5,000 channels, but we've only got a remote control with 10 numbers on. (laughs) Anyway, if there's anything I've learnt from living with a three-year-old, it's the numbers go 1 to 30, then 100. That's it. If you want to drive yourself insane, then you probably need a a slight level more fluence, but not too much, because you need to do what I had to do recently, which is here, my six-year-old attempt to count down from 50. There were a lot of fluctuations in that approach it was not a monotonic decline to zero <laughs> were there were there rapid sections followed by three minutes of having to count up in order to get to the next number down <laughs> i mean oliver does this from 10 he tried to count from 10 to 1 to do blast off out of the bath the other night and he kind of gets to like six and then goes back up to seven eight nine and yeah just up and down like a yo-yo <laughs> ah the donald trump school of countdowns <laughs> <laughs> did we all like this Yes. Because I, I did. I did. There were some bits where it was a bit cringe and it was a little bit dated when he's using his anti-Triffid gun and the graphic is just... No, they spent... I remember now where the money for the intro went. It was for the graphic for the anti-Triffid gun, which just fired out a spinning metal triangle. <laughs> I'm excited to see that because there were no visual, no non-practical visual effects whatsoever. It's the only time you say it. It's only used once. But he does spend half an episode going, we've got to get the anti-triffid equipment. We've got to get it. (laughs) And everyone going, no, just fucking forget it. Triffids aren't a problem. They're all in cages. (laughs) Yes, but they'll escape. That's why we need farmers on the triffid farms. I enjoyed it. There were a couple of points at which it got a little bit eat your peas for me, because it's, it's rough in places. But there are some definite slow-moving sections. But then it's only a six-part, or six 26-minute episode, so it's not... Yeah. It's not massive. 
I mean, am I the only one that feels that this was shot as a three-hour movie and then just chopped up? Oh, no, absolutely. I agree with that. Because episode one just kind of stops almost in mid-sentence. <laughs> yeah. There is a conversation that spans two episodes. It's a three-act play split into six parts. I didn't hate that, though. But I'm a real sucker for a cliffhanger, even a bad one. <laughs> See, I like a cliffhanger, but I also like the 21st century and the fact that I can then just go play next. <laughs> I think that's the only reason I do like cliffhangers. <laughs> when you can binge watch. That's why I haven't been yeah. keeping up with Discovery, because I want to just I'll just watch the whole series when it comes out in a couple of weeks. Yeah. I think the only reason I got through all of True Blood was because I could watch it all at once, because every single episode ends on a like a proper cliffhanger which if you were waiting a week would just drive you nuts just once please finish a story i mean you'd now just sound like you're spoiled and entitled god (laughs) wait a week for millennials i enjoyed this but i enjoyed it only 90 percent as much as the mandalorian which Relevant mm. point here, finishes every episode completely. It's like, right, finish that episode, let's never meet any yeah. of these characters ever again. <laughs> I was just about to say that I enjoyed the Mandalorian's endings because they are very Simpson-esque. It always ends up with the Mandalorian and the child on the ship. I presume the back half of season one's going to have at least some of the characters come back. Partly I say that because I've seen them in the thumbnails. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched one more episode of The Mandalorian since we last spoke. Was it the prison escape one? Because that's where I'm up to. Uh, it was the penultimate episode of season one. Oh, right. You're a couple ahead of me then. Yeah. I managed to catch up to episode three today. I'm past the outrage of Baby Yoda is a genocidal monster. Right. One. Episode. One. He's not Baby Yoda. He's the child. <laughs> Kid. Also, we just told you we hadn't seen it. <laughs> Two, we're not here to talk about The Mandalorian. That's for season seven. We could do a whole season on The Mandalorian. What I would like, to talk, what I would like to talk about at this point is the uh, the Wikipedia page called 1981 British Television Series Debuts. Okay, oh. that's a niche section. I can only assume that there is a bit of flame war going on in the talk page. Because <laughs> <laughs> the smaller the stakes, the more vitriolic it is. Yeah. So obviously this came out in 1981. Other programs that launched in 1981. Bergerac. Oh. Like Magnum P.I. except he's on the Channel Islands <laughs> instead of Hawaii. Yep. <laughs> Danger Mouse. Oh. Uh, Fighter Pilot, which is a, actually a documentary series all about fast jet pilots in the RAF. Uh, what else was cool. on there? What, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy TV series was also 81. But presumably not the Stephen Fry one. <laughs> no. Wait, that was a film. That was a film. With, with Stephen Fry, Bill Nye, Bilbo. Yep. Sorry, Martin Freeman. Young Bilbo or old Bilbo? Young Bilbo. Young Bilbo. That's not Bilbo. <laughs> Hashtag not my Bilbo. Yeah. <laughs> Which sounds really Look, fucking he's got wrong. Watson. <laughs> yeah, everyone knows Jean Le Messier is Bilbo. <laughs> he is, to me, actually. Other programmes that launched in 1981, Only Fools and Horses, Postman Pat, Really? I assume that was from, like, 1936 or something. Yeah. <laughs> Postman Pat's just always been around, hasn't exactly. it? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it just eventually got to the point where we had the technology to tune into the broadcast. It's been broadcast <laughs> for 14 and a half billion years since the Big Bang. Yeah. 
No, see, I was going the opposite way. I like to imagine that it was just like one of the subplots of Punch and Judy shows in the Renaissance. <laughs> and it's just been readapted for every medium. <laughs> and now it's in the form of Fortnite dances or something. I don't know. There was a TV show launched in 1981 called Maybury, starring Patrick Stewart as Dr. Edward Roebuck, a psychiatric consultant at Maybury General Hospital, deals with numerous difficult cases. Season 1 in 1981, season 2, 1983. See, that's not in this Wikipedia article about it. It must not have been a British TV show. Yeah. Uh, it sounds pretty fucking British from the description. <laughs> 80, 81 to 83, hard-baked psychological drama. 87, encounter a far point. Put these pyjamas on. Via 1984, Atomics! <laughs> that was weird. At the risk of wrapping this up in time to go to bed, or to go out drinking given Joanne's apparel again, does anyone have anything else they want to raise to this, or does Dathan need to find a D8? We're in lockdown. I'm going drinking in the kitchen. <laughs> and this is what I've had on all day. I mean by going out of the room. But I, I can yeah. I can spot you drinking Elvis juice. Yes. We're actually going to go and watch The Lion King. <laughs> because we're cool students. Is that the um, illustrated version or the Uncanny Valley yes. version? The good version. Ah, but is it the good, good version or the bad, good version? Uh... Does it have the morning report in it? <laughs> I don't know. Whatever's on Disney oh, Plus. Oh, the bad, the so bad good it version. Doesn't have... Wait, what? They took the morning report out? No, they put the morning report in. That's, yeah. The morning report is extra. Yeah, it's a whole new song. And it sucks. And it's rubbish. It's bad. I'm going to level with you guys. I've seen Hamlet and I've seen Black Panther, but that's as close as I've got to the <laughs> Lion King. You get two screens and play them both at the same time. <laughs> There you go, Lion King. Anyway, have you got? Have you managed to acquire yeah, a D eight? Yeah, evens out at Lion King. <laughs> no, I'm going to go and rummage in the the maths cupboard. Hang on a minute. Uh, I don't know why that's tickled me so much. I've failed. I was given a challenge for um this podcast recording. What was the I've challenge? I've not managed it. This household seems to have some random phrases that we like to say a lot, and I was challenged to sl- slip in as many as possible, but I haven't managed any of it. We'll get them all in now. I'm not going to tell you what they are. I mean, how many of your housemates listen to the podcast? You could just walk out and go, yeah, I did all of them. Well, I've maybe got us seven more listeners. No, five. (laughs) So you've quintupled our listenership. Hang on, wait, there's only seven of us here and two of them weren't there. Four more listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Roll that D8, sir. All right, then hang on a minute. Let's just clear a bit of space here. That's a two. Two, you say? Ooh, a two. Just like eating pancakes. Which won't mean anything to you, because none of the three of you have seen it, and we're not watching that episode anyway. Uh, It's one of my choices. This is Space Above and Beyond. Ooh, I haven't seen Space Above and Beyond in many a year. I think this is one of the most underrated TV shows of the last 20 years. Well, it's going to be hard for me to argue that it's correctly rated because i've never heard of it so it's going from a numerator of zero here yeah i have absolutely no concept of what this is about See, i'm surprised with that because mum absolutely loved it as well yeah but did you record it on video and keep yes it? did you I think so well I, but then i would have seen it oh i don't know ask mother 
Just like I'd seen season one, two, and four of Buffy, because we had them recorded off the telly on video. What happened to three? Don't know. It was lost to the ether. Yeah. Then we had season six, and I was like, where did this kid come from? Given it was VHS, it got eaten by the machine. Yeah, Space Above and Beyond. Uh, it's a two-part feature-length premiere. Oh, so it's episode 0. 0.5 and 0. 0.9. Well, episode one and two. <laughs> what have we not watched? What else is on the list? Okay, I've got it open. So other other things still to come. Farscape, Bojack Horseman, Battle LA, The IT Crowd... Blake Seven, Twilight, and The Princess Bride. On a slight tangent, having absolutely binged the whole of Campaign One of Critical Role during lockdown, there's one bit, and I now can't remember the context of it, but they spend about 10 minutes basically going on about nothing but Princess Bride quotes. <laughs> and without context, it's funny, but with context, it is even better. And I can't help but feeling that Dan has missed out massively on a whole piece of the critical role your universe by not understanding the context of the jokes yeah i i do feel that in uh, one of the recent ad reads by uh sam regal advertising ravensburger's new princess bride board game they did an entire skit from which i can only presume is a riff off of a scene in the movie that i haven't seen so i'm pretty sure i missed a huge chunk of the humor for that well we'll get there and that's close to the mission statement of the podcast, so... <laughs> well, we'll get there. <laughs> well, we'll get there. No, the mission statement of the podcast is, fuck it, that'll do. <laughs> I mean, the tagline is all about stuff that people haven't seen, and if you guys haven't seen Space Above and Beyond, then that's great. Dan hasn't seen The, the Princess Bride, which I think he needs to temporarily hand in his nerd badge until he has seen it. Even I've seen that. Only, like, last summer. No, summer before. Time is irrelevant. <laughs> Time is a loop. Time is a flat circle. I feel like Dan's probably seen about 20 to 25% of The Princess Bride in the form of animated gifts, probably. <laughs> probably. Yeah. I know it's got that guy from uh, Criminal Minds in it, but he's got long hair and he waves a sword about. Someone killed his dad and it's got some guy in a black mask with a little tiny moustache. It's got him, it's got Andre the Giant, it's got Grand Nagus Zack. Yeah, it, it took until quite a long way through that sentence to realise that you were not talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say Wallace Shawn, I don't think that's his actual name. Oh, it's pretty close. <laughs> and I'm going to assume it's got something to do with a princess who's a bride. Surprisingly little, actually. Anyway, space above <laughs> no, and beyond. Not really. But just like Day of the Triffids, where the princess is just yeah. a minor character. <laughs> it's not about a day or Triffids, very much. The princess bride is just a plot device. Anyway, we're not watching that. We're watching Space Above and Beyond. So, hey, ho, let's go. Why aren't home and loan spelt the same? It depends on which loan you're talking about. <laughs> Is there a loan that's spelled L-O-N-E? Because if not... Lone Ranger. Oh wait, there is. As in the singular. <laughs> oh, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> I, just got, I just got a spelling thing right.